0: Welcome to the A World of Difference podcast. I'm your hostess, Lori Adams Brown, and you are listening to our 20th episode. I want to tell you about Anchor because it's what I use to record these podcasts. Why do I use it? Number one, it's free, number two, it's simple. I don't have a lot of tech skills, but I don't need to because Anchor does a lot of the work for you. And as you know, many of you who know, I'm a career woman. I do this as a hobby on the side in my free time, and I love my kids and my family, and I don't want it to take more time than it needs to. (laughs) So thank you, Anchor, for that. It's a creation tool that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. And so they also distribute it for you anywhere you hear podcasts like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all the different ones. You can make money from it if you choose to with no minimum listenership, and it's got everything you need to make the podcast in one place. So I would encourage you to download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. My guest on today's show is Michael Crane, a friend that I met in college many years ago. He became friends with my husband, Jason, and then incidentally, because I don't know, life never works out this way, it seems, but it did in our case, um, Michael married one of my husband's really good friends, Karen. He went to high school and international school, Bangkok, with him. So the four of us are just basically lifelong friends at this point. Their boys are basically like cousins to my kids because of our time overseas together. Um, About a year after my husband and I came to grad school in California, Michael and Karen ended up uh, coming out and were students there. And so all four of us graduated from Gateway Seminary in Mill Valley, California, and which was Golden Gate Seminary at the time. And, um, and then about six years after my husband and I were living and working in Indonesia, Michael and Karen moved out and began working in development along with us as well. Um, some people are rural people. Michael, it was clear that was not his uh, – passion but he is very passionate about all things urban i asked him on the show today because he's a thought leader in this area of urban transformation and particularly has a lot to say about the faith and work conversation of the intersection of faith into the urban sphere and how that can look and um he uh he has a doctorate in urban missiology he is um currently the director of radius global cities network which is a think tank devoted to the interface of church and cities He's also a professor teaching at a couple of different grad schools. You know, I think his love for all things urban came from his just upbringing. So here on the podcast, we have people on the show who are, you know, different, but also people who want to make a difference. And Michael would really qualify as both. He was raised, born in Taipei, raised in Singapore, Kuala Lumpur, and Manila. Um, And he has an MDiv, a Master's of Divinity, and also a THM from Gateway Seminary. He um, he's written several articles, co-authored and authored a few books, including Sowing Seeds of Change: Cultivating Transformation in the City. He also um, co-authored a book with my good friend Linda Burquist, who I know a lot of you know and love, who's also a thought leader in this whole conversation of urban transformation here in the San Francisco Bay Area. The book is called City Shaped Churches: Planning Churches in the Global Era. He also co-authored a book with my father-in-law about Asian Christianity and a lot of the conversation in um, you know, in church history is often just more about the Western church, but a lot of the church that spread throughout Asia, um, even the Eastern Orthodox Church gets, you know, only brief mentions. So they've co-written this book, uh, Michael, along with my father-in-law, Dr. Lamon Brown, called A Brief History of Christianity in Asia. And um, Michael's on the show today. Thank goodness uh, we were on a similar time zone. It's unfortunate that COVID has kept he and Karen and the boys in the States for a little while. They're waiting to get back to the country where they Normally live, um, but it did allow us to be on a somewhat similar time zone today for this conversation. So, uh, welcome to the show, my good friend, Michael Crane. Hi, Michael. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you. Hi, Lori.
0: Well, I know it's weird. Yes, it's good to see you, and it's good to hear you. And it's COVID, which makes everything weird. So I know that in your normal life we know each other mostly in Southeast Asia, but you're stuck in America right now because of COVID with your family, um, trying to get back to a country where you love and want to live. But why don't you tell us about yourself and your background and kind of what you do?
1: Yeah, and I think you you mentioned to your listeners a little bit about about our shared history. But I was born in Taiwan and raised in in Asia, primarily um, Taiwan, Malaysia, Philippines, um, and then went to college back in the States and uh, then graduate school out in California and both college and graduate school were with you.
0: Yep. Um,
1: (laughs) So uh, in terms of growing up, my parents worked with the church um, my whole life growing up overseas. I loved the experience of being in different cultures and learning about just different parts of the world and the way different ways people live and the different struggles and sometimes the shared struggles that we have even in very different parts of the world. Uh, Went to college uh, thinking I was gonna do graphic design. And uh, I think through a a spiritual event of, of really Christ calling me back to himself Uh, that took a big change to wanting to, to serve, uh, serve in some way, um, serve in ministry in some way. And that developed over time into a a serving in ministry in a cross-cultural setting. And so uh, currently um, I teach uh, in four different graduate schools. Um,
0: (laughs) overachiever.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's, especially right now, it's just kind of weird because no matter where you are in the world, you can do something online. And so, um, yeah, so teaching, and then with an organization called Radius Global Cities Network, uh, which is a research think tank, faith-based, um, the goal is to to provide research, good, sound, academically sound research for the global church, uh, particularly related to the church, the church's interface with cities.
0: Yes, it's um, really fascinating the way your background led to what you're doing now, which I think is the case with most people. But it's such a unique story and. Um, and I do, I share and also know about your, <laughs> your, your love for urban, everything urban, um, especially the diverse global city version of that. And so, and I know you're, you know, you've poured a lot into urban studies and urban transformation. So yeah, tell us a little bit about your passion for cities and, and why you have that.
1: You know, I, I can even remember as a kid, our, our family was, I don't know why, but for some reason we were driving through Texas And we were, I think we were on the way to some big meeting of some sort. And I can remember heading towards Dallas and, you know, Texas is just super flat in that part of Texas. And for miles away, you begin to see the skyline begin to emerge. And I can remember still today being really excited about seeing that city skyline. And it didn't really, you know, I, I was excited, but I didn't really know until my adulthood that what God had developed in me was just a love for cities in all of its varied expressions. Um, and so that, that began to develop more and more, you know, I went to high school in Manila, um, big city. And, you know, there was always lots to complain about, but <laughs> then when I went to smaller towns, I just felt different than, than I did when cities and cities energized me um, there was this, I don't know, impetus to step up in a city, um, the visible visceral reminder of different types of people, you know, their habits, their foods, their hobbies, their work, it all kind of, I don't know, it's exciting, it, it, it's invigorating. Um, so cities have always been significant for me, but then um maybe about 15 years ago, really began to develop a desire to study cities and really learn. Probably longer than that, I started taking city class, uh, maybe got, began a PhD in this work and started reading, you know, all the stuff that may be really boring to most people, but was really exciting to me. Just cities as the center of of humanity you know kings ruled from cities poets wrote lyrical beauty from cities and um, inventors drew inspiration in cities just just about every empire began in a city it was a city that was a bit overly ambitious Um, and so you know cities have been such the center for good or for bad Mm -hmm. of human human history and so not recognizing that, seeing so much potential in a city, has been part of what's drawn me. Um, but also recognizing huge, huge challenges in, in cities. You know, um, you know, in, in high school in Manila, at that point there were estimated about three million of those that were called squatters or in slum developments. Today we might say informal societies or informal settlements, um, and then and then kind of the second part of that maybe is as I integrate my faith with cities, um, I begin to realize the Bible says so much about cities. the The word is used over a thousand times um, in the Bible, and ultimately the story. This is kind of cliche, really, that so many people said it, but the biblical story begins in a garden and ends in a city. Um, and so the, what I love, though, is the biblical story is not just sort of a, a pie-in-the-sky story. Um, it's grounded in the raw, harsh realities of a broken and rebellious humanity. Um, human rebelliousness is contrasted with a God who is always good and always loving, and... Um, and yet, God's people perpetually pushed God away mm. and proceeded to make just more and more of a mess of the world, including in our cities. And so what we see, though, is God intervening in history. Um, and through that, you know, this is where we, I think, have that hope of this city to come. That's really a beautiful picture of What we were created to be is this city to come that God is is forming and creating through his people. And so, you know, uh, not to get too too abstract or or theological here, but just to say that that that's what that's the hope that compels me is that the, the city of today is not the end of the story, but that there is a new city to come. Um, But in order to, for me to live in that city, I really need inner transformation. Um, And I'm really not, I can't, I'm not good enough to be in that city without that transformation and to recognize that through Jesus, I've received that transformation. Um, And I want to see that for others.
0: I love it. It's it's a beautiful picture that you painted for us. And um, as we're... You know as i'm here in the bay area and obviously city is all those things you mentioned um the good and the bad right we have a lot of things can spread in cities a lot of good things but unfortunately COVID is one of them <laughs> so, <laughs> and cities right now in the pandemic we have to maybe be a little more careful than in rural areas where there's less contacts and less you know living in tight spaces living in multi-generational housing or however that looks and office buildings and crowded grocery stores, crowded trains, public transport, all those things are beautiful and on the one hand and um, can be really difficult in a year like 2020. But as we talk about that, the good things that can spread in cities, I'd be really interested for you to talk about the whole, because we're in this faith and work series, um, what are your thoughts about some of the ways um, you hope to see cities transformed and how faith and work can be a part of helping spread good things?
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, um cities have so much potential for good. um, And yet they also have that same potential for evil. Like, I mean, COVID really gives us that example. Um, But what we see just human generated evil, you know, oppression, exploitation, greed, materialism, each one of those things dehumanizes us in a way. I mean, and I would say that on whatever side of that exploitation you're on, whether you're the exploiter or the exploited, it still still results in you being dehumanized. And it's warping what we're created to be. It's it's perverting who we are as God's created people, as those created in the image of God. Um, And so I think ultimately when we think about transformation of the city is we want to see life more closely resemble what we were created to be. You know the biblical word that's often used is shalom, mm-hmm.
0: um,
1: and and English doesn't quite capture. It. We quickly translate shalom as peace in English, and I don't think it really captures what what that actually is. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when we um, you know, shalom is really something that's more fully orbed. It's it's a flourishing of life as it's supposed to be, where we relate to God as His children. Where we relate to each other's each other as brother and sister, um, it's it's a it's the way we were created to be. Um, it's not just peace in the English sense of the word, which is like a cessation of hostilities. Yeah. And so, like the illustration I've sometimes used is, I have two sons who are two years apart in age, and inevitably, if they're sitting in the back seat of a car, you know. <laughs> There's no one shalom. Of, <laughs> yeah. One of them will start picking at the other one and, and then, you know, it just amplifies and they just keep going at it until one of the parents, Karen or I say, okay, stop. Pretend there's this invisible line between you. <laughs> and at that point you have peace, but you don't have shalom. Right. Cause yeah. you know, in about two minutes, <laughs> war is going to start again. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And so like, what will it take to see Shalom in our cities? What will it take to see um, people transformed by God? Uh, But also those people as they're transformed by God, seek the good of the city around them, Mm -hmm. Uh, whether, whether or not those other people are transformed by God, beginning to treat people with dignity, beginning to love your neighbor just as much as you love yourself. Beginning to love your enemies. I mean, how striking is that? Um, and so I think in those ways, you begin to see this change. So if we're looking at transformation, there's, I mean, when I talk about it like that, it just sounds so big and abstract and like, what, what are you really doing? Uh, so so <laughs> let me give a couple of illustrations. One is not related to the faith and work, and then I'll move to the faith and work thing. Sure. So with uh, more than half of the world's refugees are in cities. And a lot of times in the movies, we, we see refugees in refugee camps. And there are some that are, but more than half are, don't look like that. They're not in camps. They're just in cities, you know, trying to live in small compact spaces that they have to rent themselves working often in illegal jobs because their status is, is gray at best. Most of those uh, refugees or asylum seekers, they spend years in limbo, um, going through a, a long process of interviewing and trying to get find a resettlement country where they can uh, settle down for a long term. And in between that time, they really have no real... Um, real identity, no country that claims them, no rights. Um, and they're, the I mean, as vulnerable as you get to exploitation and trafficking and uh, corruption, bribery, all the things that the vulnerable face. And so um, wh- one of the things that's been, been exciting to see in Southeast Asia, in the part of the world where I spent the most time in, in Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia, is to see churches step up and say, you know, all of these kids, there's refugee families, there's all these children go years without education potentially, and we can do something about that. And so they've sacrificially given space for education, the sacrificially of their time, give money, give other resources to be able to help these children during these long years of limbo getting an education. I mean, that's really exciting stuff to see, um, to see how transformed people through a community, the church can actually make a difference in the city. It's one small way and there's so much more that needs to be done in the city second and, and more directly related to your, your series on faith at work. Um, you know, to live in a city, you really need money. You know, it's different than maybe a a rural place where you grow up on family land or something like that. There's just less and less of the family land for people to have. Um, There's not enough farmable land for, for people in most places in the world. And so people end up in cities. And to be in a city, you've got to pay rent and you've got to pay bills. And, you know, one fee after another, it takes money. And to get money you have to work and so working and city life are just go hand in hand that's there's there's no separating the two and and so part of that then is to recognize that if this is so much a part of city life then to think about transformation in the city we've got to think about how do we engage marketplace how do we engage work and what that looks like and so um i i think we've we've got i'm excited that you're talking about this. And um, I think it's a really important thing for us to think about as people of faith. um, Because I think, so a work was um, work is a gift from God, it's it's actually there before the the fall of humanity, you know, work is good. It's a good thing. Um, You know, when you look at Retirees, you know, the ones that find a way to continue working, maybe not working like for pay, but, you know, working a garden or working as a volunteer. um, In, in some ways, those are the most fulfilled ones, I I think we're just wired to work in some way. Um, And so then how do we, how do we engage a city, you know, in, in a transformative way through work. I mean, I think part of it is to recognize that city people are broken and hurting and um, in so many other respects, you can go home um, in today's world and just watch YouTube videos for the rest of the night and not see anybody. You can have your food delivered to you and not see anybody. And except during the pandemic, the, the kind of the exception to that is work, is work you're you're around other people. And this is maybe the one shot at uh, people who are hurting in all kinds of ways, having some kind of exposure to to hope and to love. And I think that's what, you know, we can do if we take faith in the workplace seriously. And I I think I listened to your interview with, with Eva and, you know, Eva's, Eva's a, a testimony to that, right? You know, she came to the workplace broken in, in a particular way and through a, a loving boss, came to experience uh, a hope found in Christ that, that she was lacking and, and hurting without. So um, So I think that's maybe the, the first thing I would say about faith in the workplace is that um, it's your interface potentially between those that have hope and those that need hope.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with, with all that. It is it is so um, short-sighted in the faith community for us to expect um, in the church. For example, um, one Sunday morning, to be able to transform people's lives. People at work um, are around people for the most part, five days a week in most situations and like the urban setting and offices and things like that. And um, the frequency of contact with people is where a lot of the life change really happens. And if if people are really hurting, even on a Sunday morning in some of the larger churches or you know probably even worse right now, if it's a digital church, cause it's harder to make connections. Um, you know, somebody might have a 10 to 15 second, maybe three minute conversation with you about what they're going through. Um, but when you're at work with people that you just, you know, you're more likely to have that time in non COVID situations, obviously here, Google and Twitter and Facebook and all that is over zoom, but yeah, you know, I don't know if you heard my um, podcast with Megan and Victoria, but Megan works at Google and you don't have the water cooler moments anymore, but they set up times like you know, happy hour after work, zoom, you know, and so they do have hangout virtual things and there are ways it's not the same, but I am encouraged that people are having faith conversations because, you know, if we expect it to just happen once a week, um, whether you work, whether you're a Buddhist priest and expecting people to come in and interact with you, like when they, when they come into worship or whether you're a pastor whether you're an imam in the mosque, you just have limited interaction with people of faith in your community. But right. Of course, those conversations at work are are more likely to happen often. Um. Yeah. And I think, like you said, that's where it happened with Eva. She was seeing people on a regular basis. She trusted them, respected them to the point of even moving locations when her boss left. Um, we can we have more time with people we work with than we do other even our families sometimes, unfortunately. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's a really important space. And and I really value the conversation. One of my disappointments is that I feel like um, as people in the church, we've not done a great job in this conversation. Uh, We do have a lot of Sunday Christians. um, And in some ways, uh, it feels normal to be that in certain in certain churches. But this is a really important conversation because our faith really should impact all of our lives. Like in the concept of Shalom, it should really be more holistic. Um, so, you know, sometimes I hear, you know, clergy, you know, pastors, people who are leading in the church talk about like full-time paid ministry as the highest level of God's calling on your life. Um, and I, I know that, I often hear that with the ears of my friends who are in, you know, workspaces that aren't full-time ministry, but they are doing a ministry and they see their job as a ministry. They see what they do with their neighbors and their families and in the volunteer spaces they're in as a ministry, even if they're not paid for it. Um, So what would you say to that person who may have heard full-time ministry being paid is really the highest thing and faith and work is kind of a lower thing. How would you describe your view on that?
1: Well, I mean, sort of a cheeky answer would be, you know, every, every day I, I really need my coffee. And if there weren't people taking that seriously, then I would be in deep, deep trouble, you know. <laughs> uh, and so spiritually, I'm thankful yeah. for those that devoted themselves to growing good coffee beans around the world. Um, and those that take those coffee beans from those places and deliver them to, you know, parts of America and parts of Southeast Asia. Um, yeah, you know, C.S. Lewis, I was just reading this re- really recently, actually. Um, I've been re- rereading Mere Christianity with my my oldest son. And he's got a chapter called Social Morality. And there he talks about the the connection between our vocation and how we live. And you can tell C.S. Lewis is kind of frustrated with Christians who maybe expect their church leaders, the clergy, to just tell us what to do kind of thing. So, I mean, I think there's kind of the double, it's this double-sided uh, coin there where, you know, the clergy maybe say that that's the highest kind of thing to do as you're calling. But then on the other side is there are so many church people that just want, you know, the clergy to kind of deliver some religious goods and services so that they can kind of take it and and go so anyway the um people are expecting the the clergy to tell them how they should live out their their faith and places of work and so lewis's response is this and i quote that is silly the clergy are those particular people with within the whole church who have been specially trained and set aside to look after what concerns us as creatures who are going to live forever. And we are asking them to do quite a different job for which they have been trained. The job is really on us, on the layman. The application of Christian principles, say to trade unionism or education, must come from trade unionists and Christian schoolmasters, just as Christian literature comes from Christian novelists and dramatists, not from the bench of bishops getting together and trying to write plays and novels in their spare time. Um, so I think he captures it really well that uh, to, to really see what the Christian faith looks like in all of these facets of life, we really need people in all of those vocations that are doing that work of integrating faith with that facet of life. Um, And so, you know, to, to, to weigh in on issues of education, we need those who are educators who are thinking about, you know, who are immersed in, in the Bible and immersed in what their faith looks like, but also immersed in, education principles and the realities of whatever their educational context is to be able to make decisions and, and really to, to work together, to collaborate. I think that's really what discipleship is going to look like. And then on the, I think to maybe push that even further, um, there's a fallenness in every vocation and Christians who want to be faithful Christians, trying to live out their their faith in a system where there's some, maybe some corruption just built in. And, and how do you do that? And I think for so long, for way too long, we've sort of just said kind of turn the other way from it and just keep on. And instead of saying, let's actually address some of these issues Um, and it's hard to do that by yourself. It's hard to do that as, as a lone person. And so I think we need, that's why we need to elevate the conversation to be able to say, you know, if you're in construction or, or, or whatever it may be, then how is it that you as people of faith navigate maybe a corrupt system where bribes are the norm, you know, and to begin to, to work some ways so that we don't have this, this internal conflict eroding away at our faith and what you end up having to do is splitting it up so that you do just have the sunday christian faith and then monday to friday you know kind of like i've got to grin and bear it and deal with it and just kind of ignore the the ways in which i'm having to live unethically and then to push that even further is you know I think we're breaking into grounds yeah i i let me rephrase that so like with the pandemic you can just see from all of the supercharged um stuff flying around social media (laughs) um the the reasons people give for their reactions for their decisions man it's we are so far from thinking about these things ethically Mm. That we really haven't—we've lost that. There's a step there where we've said, "Yeah, you know, I love God or whatever, and I want to be a good citizen," and we've really not thought about how do we bring those together in a helpful, healthy way. Um, but I think the Christian faith compels us—you know—we are—we are called to to live in this way in a way that loves loves our neighbors that that prays for our leaders that 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 serves the city that we we're, were taken to even a city like in in the bible in jeremiah 29 where people the the jews are taken to babylon by force and more or less kind of enslaved there and yet they're called to seek the good of that city mm-hmm. um and so in the same way, no matter who's in control for us as people of faith to, to seek the good of those around us, to treat everyone with dignity, to, you know, I, I heard Eva talking about, um, you know, just the, just the getting the visualization of someone on Zoom rather than just sort of treating everyone as an, a work object changes, changes how you see, see work. So in all those ways, um, I could probably go on far too long about this, but, but to see, to see um, I think that intentional step. And so for pastors then, or for ministry leaders, I think they need to change how they do think about each of the people in their, uh, in their flock, in their church, is to say, man, you are representing Christ as you go. And what can I do to to help you? Um, A few years ago, I went to a a theology of work conference um, through a kind of a global network called Lausanne. And um, one of the things that they were saying, it was such a little thing, it was almost an anecdote kind of thing. But they said, you know, as a pastor that, you know, instead of having people come to you to get spiritual advice or whatever, go visit them in their workplace. You know, if you can, a lot of places that's not even possible, but you know, having lunch nearby or something and to get somewhat for the pastor to get a little bit of a taste of what everyone else in the church goes through can be a game changer in terms of how that pastor teaches and preaches and disciples um, the flock. Yeah.
0: Anyway. Yeah. I love that advice. Um, I, live by that advice when we're not in the pandemic i'm not going to be zoom bombing anyone but <laughs> <laughs> that might be like a really bad foul move.
1: right yeah there's a lot of things that are really only apply in a a non-pandemic kind of yes setting.
0: indeed but i have had lunch at facebook and google and in singapore i would have lunch with people near their workspaces and it it is such a game changer it's really changed my perspective even on the expectations of having people Show up throughout the week in different events of church. It's like if we pull people away from their primary relationships where they're trying to invest and change, you know, make a difference in people's lives. If they're going through something where they're lonely or they're needing some spiritual guidance, and we make them so busy with things at church that they don't have time for that. Like that's that's not working for shalom in our cities for sure, right? We're supposed to yeah. be the salt and light, is what we read about, and it's a it's a really important role. We don't want to um, take away from that. And I, I I agree that that's really good advice. I really liked what you said too about our citizenship. It reminds me of, um, I don't know if you heard my podcast interview with our mutual friend, Lisa Rodriguez Watson. She um, they had this quote, she's the head of MSEO Alliance now, the national director. Yeah. And she had this quote on our podcast where she talked about like stewarding our citizenship. And, you know, I think about that a lot now, you know, what does that mean? Especially during COVID, praying for our leaders, it's hard. Um, Dr. Sarah Cody, who's um, in charge of our public health here in Santa Clara County, Is the most loved and hated person. You know, it's a really hard job to keep people alive, to keep people healthy and safe. There's a lot of unpopular decisions that have to be made. And then, um, you know, just in talking with different people who work in government, both on a, you know, local level in the city, or on a state and national level, there are a lot of people of faith in our government. And um, it's just important to, we want people in those spaces, right? We don't want it to be. Uh, a completely just neutral and secular environment one of the blessings for me of working and living in Singapore for 10 years is um, Singapore prides itself on harmony you know it's the most religiously diverse nation in the world I know you've been there a lot too and um, and it you know nothing's perfect but there is this really nice um, environment where people are free to celebrate who they are religiously all the major religions are celebrated in their annual kind of special day so like Christmas right now is really decorated for on Orchard Road and um, Ramadan gets its decorations and Diwali gets its decorate all those kind of things but it also provides opportunities for people in the workspace to just talk about that even celebrate each other's holidays with each other and and I really enjoyed that space of encouraging you know people just to celebrate I think that religion is really um, in the American context in this very hyper individualism it can be seen as such a personal thing but in my experience in Asia, yeah. religion and faith were so much more about family and community. Um, and that was always the lens through which, which it was viewed. And I just really appreciated um, that lens because it's something to be shared. Um, faith is not something to be kept just to yourself on a Sunday morning, right? It really is something yeah,
1: absolutely. to share.
0: And and if it's not a part of us at work, um, then you know it's not authentic in the ways it could be. So I, I think that's really important to, to add. Um, But I do, like, I do think there are people, at least in the church space, that um, if pastors and clergy are really out of touch, and they preach sermons, for example, on a Sunday, expecting people to do a certain thing, and there's a real disconnect on how that can look, I think people can get really demoralized. So I know that you have a lot of friends, even from your time in Asia, that are um, working not in full-time ministry, but are and you know, just regular jobs and companies, multinational companies, and things like that. And so, um, what are some of the things that you felt like people were needing more as resources to learn how to do that better? What are some of the things you felt like people were asking for that the church really should address?
1: Yeah, it's a good question, and and I, quite frankly, I think it's one we're still trying to answer. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we're still fumbling through some of that. So I wish I had more answers than Mm -hmm. I wish I could say. We've got this plug and play (laughs) thing that is just perfect. Uh, But it seems like so many scenarios are so different from each other. Um, Interestingly, while there's sort of a publicness about your faith in the Asian context, there's also a, because of that whole harmony thing, Mm -hmm. there's sort of a superficializing of it as well that happens. Mm-hmm. um, and so in in both cases where the faith is privatized like it is in the West so often or whether it's superficialized mm-hmm. where it is in in Asia, I think both things um are detrimental to sort of natural uh holding on to your faith in your workspace and so to figure out what that looks like uh I think is really an important thing, you know, Um, I think one of the things we're going to have to, to consider is, um, the more and more, now that we've got even more tools than we ever have to, to, to telework, to, (laughs) um, to do your work remotely is that's, that's not healthy for us to, to, to perpetually be turned on in in terms of work. Um, and so that's, that's a, that's a challenge, you know, to, how do we ethically think about how do we, in terms of people of faith think, you know, where is the rest in, in our faith? Where, where do we take times? Where do we, where do we say this is no? And in, in a context where saying no to a boss is, is never appropriate, you know, how do you navigate that? So I think there's, I think we've um, turned. I, I, let me. I'm kind of fumbling through this. So I think there's a sense in which the way we've solved this is to to try to have like a, a Christians at your workplace kind of pep rally once a month, where we get together and you know hear from somebody who was able to avoid giving a bribe one month, and God bless his ministry, and and that's what they they do. And I think what we need to do is shift more to how do we authentically engage in our vocations um, and grow as followers of Christ? And I think that's going to be a lot messier. It's probably going to create some some tension, some arguments, but I think it's where we need to move to be able to to authentically work out, you know, you know like, rising things, whatever it may be, artificial intelligence, um, you know, vaccines and, and, and genetic modification. These are things that Christians and workplaces are having to, to deal with Mm -hmm. that. I don't think we're even close to dealing with them as people of faith. And so, um, all that, I, I, I didn't really answer your question. So resources, um, I, I would say probably the best resource would be to find a group of believers to walk together with and and read scripture together and try to navigate what it looks like in your particular job with your faith.
0: That's good. And I'm also thinking about that person right now who who is listening and is you know gets all of it is in total agreement but they just they really have a hard time imagining themselves bringing their faith to work at all like they've just been so, I I go to church on Sunday and then I I don't know how to, maybe they're in that space where there's some ethical things and they just, they don't even know how to do it. Um, So what would you like give them in terms of advice or even a step one on where to start?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the step one would be maybe just to, to think about your work as an act of worship and that doing your work well is, is part of that, right? And so think of that as part of your, your spiritual life. To, if you're designing bridges, to design bridges for the glory of God, you know? Um, and, and then I think when you, when you begin to do that, when you bring God into your work, then you begin to maybe just grow in your prayer life, um, begin to, to talk with God throughout the day and then be available, and I think this was something that that Eva was saying as well: is making yourself available to people in the midst of that. You know, you don't have to um, you don't have to push your faith on others, but I do think, you know, we, we discipled a group of young professionals in in Asia, and one of the things that almost across the board all of them were dealing with was just the the viciousness of the work environment. Mm-hmm. So much backstabbing, so much of the the saying this to your face, and then totally throwing you under the bus in the next moment, the kind of crawling, pulling each other down to get to the top, all of those things, man, it, it can just be a wrecking ball to a young, a young a young professional, but a young professional who has a faith can it can be even more challenging because sometimes that gets mocked as well in the midst of that. And so I think I think a big part of that then is to kind of retrain ourselves to say, no, you know, the the work, the office culture is not the culture that that I live by. I live by a different culture that says, I will love even the person who backstabs me. Mm -hmm. Um, I will treat all the people I work with, with dignity, whether they are, you know, collecting the garbage or whether they are the person that works, you know, under you in the, in the job or whatever it may be that, you know, and so I think just beginning to live those things out. I think the, if there's some verbal verbal witness to the faith, that comes more naturally after those other things.
0: That's really good. Really helpful. I'm sure a lot of people listening can relate to that. And um, it is hard. It is hard if um, sermons message series aren't addressing those very practical things for people on a Sunday or there's no group for them to discuss it amongst each other like those are the things that probably make people not know how to bring their faith to work because of just the practical how and the you know let's let's find the verses in the bible that apply to those kind of things right like what does loving your neighbor really mean and loving your enemies yeah. really mean that's really important and um yeah i'm sure a lot of people listening to that can really relate so um i'm gonna give it does it make chance. it easy though no no it's, it's actually incredibly hard back. yeah, yeah. I can't imagine how, how hard that would be. I mean, I even think of like a conversation I had this week where there's sometimes women here in the Silicon Valley that are told, hey, if you wanna get a promotion, you need to set up front with a short skirt on. And then they have that choice. Like you could get a significant raise just by sitting like that, you know, like it, you just sell your soul. Um, those are the little moments, like those decisions that people are having to make. They're really, really tough. Like just to know that you, you have worth and dignity. Jesus treated women very differently. Um, I liked what you said about work as worship. And I think that's a very, uh, it's, a, it's a thing I would like to unpack a little bit more here with you for a second. Because, um, well, maybe I'm just going to give you a chance to be on your, one of your soapboxes because I know how you love your soapboxes. But, <laughs> um, but what are you talking about? Is, <laughs> yeah. Worship is something that um, a lot of times in the church, we exclusively use that word when we're talking. I know, here you go. You're, you know where I'm going. <laughs> Uh, is when we sing when we sing songs together and uh, you know maybe outdoor services like a lot of people are doing now or in a sanctuary or church Um, but worship can be many many things we had we had a buddhist um, show up at our church a couple weeks ago and she'd never been to church and she um, heard somebody talking about the singing time and calling it worship and she's like I never heard it referred to like that and I remember thinking oh wow there's there's so much more than just the worship is so much more so unpack your, your concept of worship, what that means to you and how work is included in that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think um, worship at maybe its most simplistic level is, you know, actions, words, and even your our thoughts and feelings that are intended to give some kind of adoration to, in this case, God. But, you know, I mean, we can worship all kinds of things. We can worship our, you know, favorite team or whatever it might, might be, a yes. favorite singer. <laughs> right.
0: Um,
1: and that's, I would say that's an unhealthy direction of worship. Um, and so that, what that means is that there's so much that can be included in that, which is kind of a challenge because then if everything is worship, then what does that even mean? Yeah. So I think there's an intentionality to it to say this is, I'm going to purposefully devote Whatever I'm doing, whether I'm writing a book or whether I'm uh, designing a tower or whether I'm um, cooking for a a homeless shelter, whatever it may be, those are the things I'm doing this as uh, an act of worship to to God. Um, And I think there's something, um, there's something about corporate worship that that maybe is, you know, when we sing together, maybe read something together or maybe pray together. um, Those are, that's a valuable experience and not to be discarded or anything like that. But those are, that's, I think, a corporate act of worship. But then we also need to live our daily lives as an act of worship. And that um, would certainly include our work. I mean, that's so much of who we are, Mm -hmm. especially in- you know, the urban context, so much of who we are is wrapped up in that. And so to to take that seriously, and not just to try to get to Friday, or just get to five o'clock or six o'clock, whatever the end of work is for you. But to say, man, how can I be used by God to return glory to God during the day. And it could be that you have someone that's on the phone with you, who is going through a really miserable time, and you have some words of encouragement that has nothing to do with your work, but you're just used by God in that moment to bring some some love and care for someone that that's been lacking in that. Um, I when in when I was in in Asia, I was, uh, I mean, my love for cities and urban planning and architecture, you know, I see those as. Um, Issues of, you know, our faith speaks into that and to think about those things in terms of faith. And I met this uh, university student, architecture student, and she had never explored this idea that, you know, her architecture uh, skill could be could relate to her faith in any Mm -hmm. way. And when we started talking about it, I mean, you could just see the lights come on in her. In her eyes, you know, just that this was I've got I'm doing something that actually can have um, can matter in terms of my faith as well. And I think that's maybe something that a pastor needs to learn, but also other Christians need to learn in terms of coaching each other is how do we help people bridge their vocation with how this matters to the faith.
0: Yeah, that's so that's good. I can imagine that conversation was really pivotal for her just to think about it that way. I'd be interested to know, um, where does your imagination take you? Like when you dream and hope for what you think faith and work can be like in our global cities, as you look toward the future and we hope we get past COVID in the next year at some point. Right? Uh, And people, you know, are bringing their faith to work and all that, like, what is your, where does your imagine take you in terms of where you hope will be?
1: Yeah, you know, I mean, I've just worked enough jobs um where there's just a lot of miserable people out there. And they're doing a lot of things to numb the the pain that they're dealing with. And so my prayer is that people that have had some healing through through Christ and now have hope in Christ can be a source of healing and hope to all of those that are hurting around the world, and you know, and they interface with them on a daily or regular basis. Um, what that is going to look like down the road is, I I pray that you know, it's going to sound really kind of dreamy. If we um, <laughs> go, go for it, <laughs> but you know, I mean, I hope this results in less loneliness and and fewer suicides and um, less binge drinking and drug overdoses and all of those things. I, I, I want to see that those as outcomes. I want to see that changed Um, And I think we're a long way from that. And I think uh, so many Christians aren't even experiencing that, that healing or that hope in the ways that, that I'm talking about it. And so I think we've got to start there and, and start with just kind of what it really means to follow Christ and when you give your allegiance to Christ, that it changes the way you see all the other things and all your relationships and um, your your pride, your ambition, your greed, they all get kind of chopped down and you have other things that motivate you. And so I think in a kind of intermediary step, I would love to see groups of believers in office buildings and workplaces and factories around the world who really take that seriously and then begin that that begins to spread throughout becomes infectious throughout their places of work.
0: That's that's so good. There's so much infectious covid right now, but we're we're wanting some something else to be different kind contagious. of infection. Yeah, yeah. That's
1: right.
0: <laughs> you know, but all joking aside, like, um, you know, we in grad school took systematic theology with Dr. Durs, who's the the best. Um, And one of the things I really remember from that course is, you know, we studied the different what we call um, atonement theories of what Jesus did on the cross. So when Jesus died on the cross, what did that mean? Did it mean just one thing? Did it mean a lot of things? And there's all these perspectives and theologians see it all differently. Um, And a lot of what we hear in evangelical culture in the US in particular is a lot about the substitutionary atonement, which is where Jesus in our place and that whole concept that he died for us and lived a life we couldn't live. And he took our place, which is true. Um, but one of my favorite um, atonement uh, atonement theories is um, Jesus is healer. Mm. It's been one I've thought about a lot over the years, maybe because my mom's a nurse and I, I grew up seeing uh, a lot of healing, you know, through medical care and volunteers who would come to Venezuela and, and we saw physical healing through doctors and nurses and medicine, but it was always a spiritual thing and a very prayerful thing as well. Like they weren't separated. You know, the gospel was definitely involved in all of that and, and shared with words, but also with actions. And so Jesus healer healers is kind of something I saw from such a young age. Um, and as we're praying for our planet right now and hoping for next year for healing. And, and I think about people like Eva that I interviewed, you know, people that are Christians that are helping develop vaccines and people of many different faiths or maybe even atheists that are helping us develop the vaccines, but that um, my belief and my prayer is that God is healing us through many different ways, Um, healing us from our sin. Our sin is a sickness that we um, have within us, that our world has a sickness, um, not just from the pandemic, but from sin and the way we've not treated the planet very well, not stewarded it well, like we were told to do in the beginning, Um, but that, through that, Jesus wants to heal us on many, many different levels. And so I think one of the really beautiful spaces that God wants to heal is through, through the faith and work to redeem work, like you talked about, let work be what God created it to be, where there's a passion, there's a gift in us, that even when we retire, we want to still do that, like that there's something really beautiful. And there's a healing that can take place that I think Jesus wants to do in us and through us. So yeah, what are your thoughts on all that?
1: I was a lot there Um, for, for sure. I I think to, I, I, yeah, I think there's part of that is sort of actively thinking through how does my um, whatever you want to call it, salvation in Christ, how does that work itself out in my life? And I think there's so many facets to that, that really need to be explored. And I think to, to maybe reduce it or to not explore it, it is it hurts us. Um, and I think, so, I mean, going back to that conversation about what it means to, to worship through our work. I mean, I think it goes back to seeing how does, how does Christ impact your life? And if, if it's, if it's really reduced down to um, I, I've got a ticket to heaven after I die. It's really not going to change much about life now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but that that really is. Um, I, I want to be careful how how I say this. But uh, Jesus came in the flesh, um, material presence, and so to reduce everything to sort of a spiritual non-material reality, I think is to, well, I mean, the early church called it a heresy. I mean, it was Gnosticism. And so, I mean, we've got to integrate what faith looks like in this world where God has placed us and to wish ourselves out of it hastily is really to disregard where God has placed us. Hmm. Um, And God has placed in. A lot of difficult circumstances, God, and, and we know God placed Jesus in the most difficult of circumstances to carry the the sin of the world. You know, I, I think um, to to figure out what that looks like is so imperative for each person, and that's that's a huge conversation. Um, but I think we've got to move from a place in church life where it's just sort of business as usual to saying how do we have these these harder conversations about how we see everyday experiences how do we you know in a in a work culture where someone can get a a boost in salary because of really a form of exploitation how do we change the work culture you know and i think it's going to take um all of us kind of collaborating together to, to see that happen and to collaborate means we've got to give up. We've got to each give up some of our own agenda in that, that game. Does that make yeah,
0: sense? It does, which is just, uh, as we're in December and we're preparing for Christmas, just some of the things you said, just a reminder that, you know, God sent Jesus to live and dwell among us like in the flesh. Yeah. You know? It's what beginning of the book of John and the new Testament talks about, you know, and I love the way the Indonesian. He, did, he didn't
1: just zoom in.
0: Yeah, he did not zoom in or zoom bomb. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. That would be
0: a crazy moment if he did. But um, <laughs> yeah, but I love the way in the beginning of John, like in English, you know, we always have the Jesus, the word became flesh and dwelled among us. But I love the way Indonesian translate it, which is the kalimat Allah, which is like the sentence of God, like the word, but like there's so much richness in the word. Um, So there's just a lot to think about there. And then even when we think about putting our own agenda aside, I think about Mary and how she, a young 14 year old woman was visited by an angel and asked to do this incredible thing um, where she would carry shame, but at the same time, carry, you know, God's son in her body and um, give birth to the savior of the world. And as we, as we prepare for Christmas and the Advent season, it's just a good reminder that we're all just a part of something God is doing. We can either choose to do it or not, but we all have a work to do and a role to play in God's kingdom. And it's for our good and it's um, God gives us gifts. And it's, you know, when we work uh, in those gifts, we can feel God's pleasure in a special way. So it's a good reminder in this season to think about that. Well, I know that you have written some books and I don't want our podcast listeners to not hear about them because I would love for them to buy them and read them. Um, So tell us what your books are, where they can be found. And also tell us about your podcast so people can listen to you there as well
1: um yeah if you need something to put you to sleep at night then um (laughs) i've got just the answer for you i've um if you're interested in urban transformation and like the christian approach to urban transformation i wrote a book called sowing seeds of change cultivating transformation in the city and uh that's on amazon I've co-written a book on urban church planting, starting churches in the city context with Dr. Linda Burquist, who was gracious enough to invite me into that project. Uh, That's called City Shaped Churches. And that is also available on Amazon or Barnes & Noble. I think they're, you know, all those main places that you find books. Um, And then I co-wrote a book on Asian church history, with you, your father in law, with yep. Lori's <laughs> father in law, Lamon Brown. Um, it's called A Brief History of Christianity in Asia. And that's partly, I teach uh, church history in the Asian context. And so many of the, the church history textbooks uh, spend so much time on the Western development of the church and give very little time to the, the church that went east as well as West um, from the earliest days of the church. And so I I partly wrote that book or co-wrote that book to be able to have a supplemental textbook for my teaching. Um, So if you're interested in that, uh, that's also available on Amazon. Um, And then uh, the podcast that I'm uh, hosting at this point is called Mission City Podcast. And it is available in all the places where you see this one or hear this one. (laughs)
0: Well, thank you, Michael. You've given us a lot to think about today. And thank you for just imparting your wisdom and your years of experience and just definitely the the many cultures that have influenced you and created the Michael Crane we all know and love. Um, and so, yes, read his book, go to his podcast. And thanks for being on the show today.
1: Thanks for inviting me, Lori. I enjoyed the conversation and and loved hearing some of the other conversations that you've been having. And um, you've also had my uh, my brother-in-law in on one of the podcasts as well yes, so indeed. that's exciting um <laughs> anyway yeah thanks for doing what you're doing and for um bringing up these important issues for us uh people of faith to to con- think about to consider and to be challenged
0: by well it's my pleasure say hi to karen and the kids and we'll talk to you guys okay. soon bye bye right. bye lori well i hope you really enjoyed that and it provoked a lot more thoughts for you around the faith and work conversation and inspired you to want to buy Michael's books and read and go deeper and read some of the journal articles he's involved in. Both he and I have contributed to a journal called the International Journal of Urban Transformation, which our friend Lisa Hoff was involved with before she passed away earlier this year. It's an incredible journal if you're wanting to learn more about urban studies and, and some of the thoughts going on around the world in terms of transforming cities but also, um, like I said, Michael goes into much deeper conversations in the books that he's written. And I don't know. I just hope that today some of your, inf- your imagination was peaked in terms of what you could foresee happening. If there's anything <laughs> that happened this year in 2020 is it was a reset for a lot of us. We're thinking differently about life than we did in previous years because of the situation, right? A lot of things have gotten more difficult. But some things have gotten better for some of us in the sense that we have had to reevaluate how we spend our time and, and what family and work and all that looks like. And so I think it's an important time to have a conversation like this. Michael himself has had a year he didn't expect. He expected to be back in Southeast Asia this summer and, and all these months and He and his family are still here in the U.S. living with family, writing out these days of the pandemic until they can return to their home. But as we're all sitting in these spaces right now and we're heading into the holidays in particular, yeah, I hope some of the things that Michael said gave you some imagination of how things could look different next year for you in faith and work and that whole conversation, especially even around the idea for those of us who worship God, what does worship mean to you? Does it just mean singing on a Sunday? Does it it just mean a specific set of things that are very ritualistic for you and very traditional? Or today when we were talking about worship, do you see your job as a way to worship God? Do you see your life and the different choices that you make and the way you spend your time as an opportunity to give that over to God as an act of worship with our bodies being offered in a different way and our minds being offered in a different way? So I hope that your imagination has been more creative today, more open and If you have further questions for Dr. Crane, please uh, check out some of his reading. And um, if you would like to pose a question to him, you could send it my way and I could get it to him. He definitely is a thought leader in this conversation around the urban transformation and particularly in the area of faith and work. And so I hope that you got a lot out of this today. As we go forward into the holidays, we're going to take a little break from our faith and work series just for a few weeks here to focus a little bit more on the holiday season that we're coming up into that Christians celebrate, which we call Christmas, and around the world, we celebrate it in many, many different ways. So you're going to get to hear from a couple of different people around this conversation. One is going to be my friend Yasmin, who's an Iranian-American pastor here in the Silicon Valley. She and her husband, uh, Ali, started a church a couple of years ago in Santana Row in San Jose. And she's going to just speak from her perspective on the Christmas story and on Mary in particular, from what her perspective as, a, as an Iranian-American woman pastor, how she sees that story and what it means to her. So you're in for a treat with that. And we're also going to have a special guest talking about, for those of us who are working or living at home with children, or maybe you're the grandparent of a child or an aunt or an uncle of a child who struggles with any kind of sensory issues or any kind of special needs that makes the holidays more difficult. I'm going to have a guest on my show who has written a book about um, disability and inclusive communities, and his name is Kevin Tempe, and he's going to be talking about the holiday time with kids who have different sensory struggles, and uh, especially in the pandemic with being sheltered in place for a lot of us or things being out of the typical routine. What we can do to support them better. Uh, Dr. Tempe is also a philosophy professor and so he will bring a lot of just uh, brain to this conversation (laughs) but hopefully some also practical tips for how to support our kids in the holiday season when life is really really challenging especially this year so tune in for those next couple of episodes coming up and then we'll pick back up with our faith and work series earlier on next year. Take care, guys. Be safe. Wear your mask. Stay socially distanced. And uh, just take care of each other. And I'll talk to you guys next week. Bye.